Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by small group pastor Sherry Benke as we continue our series, Turn the Page. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, Yellow Box. How are you guys doing? Good. Welcome to those joining us digitally. Everybody got their fingers crossed that there's going to be a snow day tomorrow? I know. I don't know. I think it'll pass us by. We'll see. We'll see. So we are in week six, week six of Turn the Page. Turn the Page has been a series where we're looking through the entire narrative of the Bible, taking a high-level look of what's happening in that entire story. And this week, we're going to pick up the story as the remnants of God's people have been held captive and taken into exile to the city of Babylon. This is where we read in the book of Daniel, where we find stories about Daniel and his friends and kind of the things he encountered when they were in exile. Now, I think it's difficult for most of us in this room to really understand what it's like to live in exile. I know the farthest country I've ever traveled to is Canada, and that doesn't feel like a very distant, far-off land. But imagine for the Israelites what this was like for them when they were held captive in exile. They saw their promised land, the great city of Jerusalem, destroyed. They were taken captive, and they were taken to an unfamiliar land, an unfamiliar culture, in an unfamiliar language. Have you ever gone to a foreign country where you experienced that unfamiliar uh, culture or language and it was disorienting and you, and you really didn't know what to make of it? Perhaps you felt a little bit like this guy. Hey, Walter. Morning, Jack. Morning, Jack. Oh, good morning, Mr. Hobbs. Hello, Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. It's a nice purple dress. It's very purpley. Francisco. Francisco, Mr. Francisco, that's fun to say. Francisco. Hi. Hey. Do you remember me? I do. I didn't recognize you. I know. I'm in work clothes. So, what are we going to build? No, uh, we don't do that kind of work here, pal. Buddy Deal, what's your favorite color? Put that down. Hello? Hello? Yes, at Christmas time, we should always work to put a clip in there from the elf, right? Francisco, that is fun to say. You should say it, definitely. But all seriousness, what Daniel and his friends experienced were way more than just culture shock where they were. The Babylonians wanted them to integrate into their culture. They wanted them to pick up on the Babylonian ways and abandon the ways of God. So the Israelites, they faced intense pressure to begin to integrate. And through this, they experienced some distinct realities. And one of them is they experienced isolation. They were isolated. They were amongst many people that they didn't know. They didn't know anybody that spoke their language. They were in a culture that nobody respected or identified. Another area that they struggled with was indoctrination. As I mentioned, they experienced intense pressure to integrate into that culture. And Daniel and his friends actually went through cultural training as an attempt to kind of rewire their brains to the Babylonian ways. Another reality for them was their identity was challenged. They were forced to change their name to Babylonian names. 
And that may not seem like a very big deal to have your name changed, but in ancient times, your name was your identity. And that was being threatened because they were asked to change their name. There was intense pressure to conform. And for Daniel, this cultural pressure, it actually begins to mount to an imaginable level as his commitment to God is directly challenged. So as we pick up in the book of Daniel, chapter six, we see that in Babylon, there's a new king, King Darius. And he decides to appoint some people to kind of help him run his kingdom. Now, Daniel, he's been in exile for a few years now, and he's kind of earned the respect of King Darius. So Daniel is one of three people who's put in charge of the kingdom. And he does such a great job that King Darius then says, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of the entire kingdom of Babylon. And this is great news for Daniel and great news for the people of God. However, it's not great news for the Babylonian co-workers of Daniel. They become intensely jealous of Daniel. And though they were there to serve the king, they actually were there to serve themselves. And so they begin to investigate Daniel. They're trying to dig up some dirt on Daniel, some way that they can kind of trip him up and and condemn him in some way. But they couldn't find anything. And so they decide to create a situation for themselves. And so we will read in scripture exactly what they decided to do. It says, so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So they knew what set Daniel apart was his devotion to God. And so they were going to use his devotion to God as his very downfall. And so these top Babylonian officials, they approach the king and they want to suggest this law. And we'll read on to find this is what they suggest to the king. We are all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. So essentially, they propose that the king make a law that says, hey, you worship me or you die a horrible death. And King Darius, he doesn't realize that he's actually being put in in a trap here. See, this kind of appeals to his ego. So he goes along with it. He enacts this new law, this irrevocable law for the next 30 days that he is going to be the God King. And so the trap is set. The officials, they've created this kind of high stakes law that puts Daniel in conflict with his loyalties what will he do? Will he follow the law and his king? Or will he follow God? Let's read on and see what happens. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Well, it appears that Daniel is completely unintimidated by this new law, right? I mean, his loyalties are first to God and then to king and country, not in reverse. It says that he continued to pray just as he had always done. He had an internal conviction, but he also had an external display of it. 
See, I know if this was me, I'd probably at least find an inside room. Like, I don't know if I'd pray like right in front of the window or something. But see, Daniel's response was to pray openly, openly as he had always done. He knew who he was, or better said, whose he was. He, his identity was rooted in God and he stayed true to his convictions and he didn't wait, waver from his devotion to God. He displays remarkable courage and remarkable integrity. And see, the Babylonian officials, they think they have him. They think they have him. Let's read on in the story. It says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? See, the trap is set perfectly here. It's set against Daniel and now the king. And and see, the king was deeply stressed by this because he knew he had put the law into place. But even as king, back in ancient times, you couldn't even revoke that law. So he had to be loyal to the very law that he created. Now I wanna read this next part straight out of scripture. So follow me as we finish this story. It says, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Daniel had courage to live out his convictions. He trusted God. He was loyal to God. He gave him courage in an impossible circumstance. The king's loyalty, his loyalty was to the law. And it left him sleepless, full of anxiousness. And the Babylonian officials, their loyalty was to themselves. But that didn't work out so well as we could read later in scripture. It actually ends up costing their lives. Think about it. I mean, if Daniel had been loyal to the law or himself, just to save his own skin, he, he would have betrayed God. And then he wouldn't have been able to put on display God's faithfulness in front of everybody. This is such an amazing uh, uh, turn of events that happens here that this sends shockwaves through the entire Babylonian empire. Read what happens here. 
The King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. Because of this one bold act of courage that Daniel had, God's favor was displayed for all to see and it created a ripple effect across the whole world. This one bold act. We have the courage to remain loyal to God, just like Daniel did, when we don't focus on our fear and we focus on God. God can give us courage to do things that can change the world. In recent modern history, I think the best example of this type of courage is through Martin Luther King Jr., The racial culture that he grew up in is very different from the racial culture we live in today. And though there is racism in America and there have been some real disheartening stories about the surge of white supremacists that have been emboldened today, but the days of Martin Luther King Jr., the racism was much worse. Segregation was legal and it was supported throughout our neighborhoods and in our political hallways. In 1954, 17 states required segregated public schools. In 1956, 58% of all white Southerners thought that schools should not be integrated with whites and blacks. In 1963, 82% of all white Southerners opposed a law that would give access to everybody to be served at places like restaurants. The results of these statistics created an unjust, unsafe, unwelcoming environment for our black brothers and sisters. Have you ever thought about what a law such as separate water fountains and separate restrooms how that would influence somebody's identity and what that might echo to them, that they are unclean, they are unworthy. It's an appalling historical reality. And Martin Luther King being the man of faith was not gonna stand idly by and watch this happen. As time went on, it was increasingly um, apparent that this movement that Martin Luther King was a part of was going to eventually cost him his life. The night before his assassination, outside the room of the Lorraine Martel, he preached at the Bishop Charles Mason Temple. His message came to be called, I've been to the mountaintop. And I want to read to you the last few words of that sermon. He said, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. 
And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I am so, and so I am happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. After saying these words, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated less than 24 hours later. But for a brief window of time, Martin Luther King Jr. was able to use his voice to hold back violence and to overcome hate. He, like Daniel, kindled a fire that fire hoses could not put out. He had a courage that even lions couldn't discourage. Martin Luther King Jr. was captive. He was captive in an unjust, inhumane culture. And he had the courage to live out his conviction according to his faith in God. And our world is forever changed because of this. Courageous faith and living out our convictions with God is an unstoppable force. An unstoppable force that is available to all of us. It's available to all of us. And as followers of Jesus, the reality is that we too kind of live captive. We live captive in a culture. Maybe you don't really think of it that way, but we do. We live captive in a culture. Just kind of look back for a moment of all the things that challenge our loyalties to God. And we face some distinct realities because of this. We face isolation. We face isolation. I mean, I'm sure in here, our faith feels strong. In our small groups, we feel strong in our faith. But get us in our workplaces. Get us in our neighborhoods. Maybe even our own family. Our faith can make us feel isolated. And in indoctrination, we are bombarded with ideas of how to integrate into a society and a culture that is direct contrast against God's word. The world says that we should value possessions. God says we should value his presence. The world says that we should have fancy things and fancy uh, vacations, and that means we're blessed. But God's word says that we are blessed if we are meek. We are blessed when we're poor in spirit. And all of this cultural influence, it can challenge our very identity. I mean, from the time we're born, we're given a name, but we wear all kinds of labels. Wife, dad, mom, boss, VP. We're called the middle child, the athletic one, the smart one. Or maybe the mistake or the ex or the addict or the crazy one. Regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of what you've ever been called, know this, that the God of creation before you were ever born called you mine. And you need to root your identity in that. Root your identity in that truth and that reality. The key to courageous living, like Daniel and Martin Luther King, is by rooting our very identity in God, knowing who we are. Better said, whose we are. We belong to the God of creation. He is faithful and we can live courageously through him. But what does that mean practically for us? What does it mean practically? How do we move from these stories of faith through fear and begin to live courageously? 
Well, at first, we have to recognize. We have to recognize the places where our loyalty to God is being tested. What are those places where you feel pulled away from God instead of toward God? Where are you being challenged in your convictions to follow God? What are the places in your life that feel like you're walking into a lion's den because of your faith? And then once we recognize these different places, then just like Daniel, just like Martin Luther King Jr., we have to choose to live courageously, courageously live out those convictions. And this could take many forms. Maybe you need to speak a word. Maybe you, can, you see racism and you need to speak out to that and you say, no, that ain't cool. Or maybe we need to speak or take action. Take action. Get out of our houses. Get involved in the community in some way. Or maybe we simply need to take a stand in a culture that is fierce to conform us. And it feels like we're walking straight into a lion's den. I hope these stories of Daniel and Martin Luther King inspire you. They are inspirational. They are. And I have no doubt that there are people in this room who have influence that can create a movement that can change this world, you just need the courage. You need the courage to step out and do that. But I also have no doubt that there are people in this room who feel like they're walking straight into a lion's den when they go home. And maybe the most courageous thing you can do is pick up the phone and call a marriage counselor and not a divorce lawyer. Have a tough conversation with a loved one. Calling the doctor because you found a lump. Speaking up at work because you have a great idea can feel like walking straight into a lion's den. And here's the deal. I I think some of the greatest lions that we battle, they're not out here, they're here. They're inside of us. Those are the greatest lions that we have to battle. There are people in this room and you're in a really, really bad place and nobody knows. Nobody knows the depths of your darkness because your fear is keeping you isolated. Have the courage to tell someone, talk to someone, talk to somebody in your small group, come forward for prayer. And here's the deal, courageous living isn't fearless living. There are times you're going to feel fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. In fact, it's the quite opposite. I love what author and poet says here. He says, courage is about doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Here's the deal. You're always going to feel afraid. You're always going to feel afraid. So the strategy isn't waiting till the fear subsides and then I can act courageously. No, the strategy is feel the fear and then act. We never feel courageous. We have to act courageous. We can have courage because our God is faithful. As we read the story of Daniel, as we learn about the story of Martin Luther King, 
And as we continue our journey through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there is story after story after story of God being faithful, of God being faithful and coming through for his uh, followers. And here's the deal. We follow a courageous Savior. That's how we can have courage. We follow a courageous Savior. And he had some distinct realities too. Jesus himself experienced isolation. On his way to the cross, he was abandoned by everybody who was following him. He felt the pressures of indoctrination. That was the very reason why he was being taken up to the cross in the first place, because he wouldn't assimilate and he wouldn't integrate into the culture and become who they wanted him to be. He knew who he was. His identity was rooted in doing the will of God, and that's what he did. And through the great work on the cross that Jesus did, we have access to this God who gives us courage. So as you think about those lion's dens that you have to walk into, don't focus on your fear. Focus on our courageous Savior who can empower you with courage. Pray with me. Father God, there are people in this room who your Holy Spirit is talking to right now who need courage. And I just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they experience that courage. We don't have to dissipate the fear. We just need to have the courage to move forward. And I pray for every single person that's experiencing that. Each circumstance is different. It could be the courage to speak up when they see an injustice. It can be the courage to stand up for the vulnerable. It could be the courage to speak up at that meeting. Or maybe it's the courage to reach out for help. Father, we know you're faithful. We know we follow a courageous Savior. And it's in his holy name that I pray. Amen.